Good evening, everybody. It's time to begin our service this evening. Tonight we will have three songs, and then Greg will have our uh, reading and prayer. One more song, and Chris will have our lesson. If you would, let's stand. We'll sing, start the service with number 866. I will call upon the Lord, 866. I will call upon the Please be seated. Our next song is number 527. 527, Paradise Valley. As I travel through life with the trouble and strife, I'm glorious to get cheer on the
next song is on the overhead only. It's In Need. In Need. We've done this several times on Wednesday, so time to bring it to Sunday. In Need. After this, Greg will have our reading and prayer. In Need of Yeah. 
Scripture reading that Chris has selected this evening comes from the book of Genesis. It's Genesis 49, or chapter 49, verse 9. Genesis 49, 9. Judah is a lion's whelp from the prey, my son. Thou art gone up. He stooped down, he crouched as a lion, and as an old lion, who shall rouse him up? Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for this time that we can come here and worship you. Father, we just pray everything that we do here this evening is pleasing in your sight. Father, we're mindful of the ones that are not here, Father, because they're sick or they're shut in. Just ask you to be with them, be with the doctors, nurses that attend to them. If it be your will, return them to a normal portion of health. Father, we're also mindful of the ones who have chosen not to be here. For, what, for whatever reason, and Father, just pray that you touch their heart and see that, um, make them see that they need to be here. Father, we are thankful for all the new families that we've had um, become part of our congregation here. Father, just pray that um, as they continue with us, Father, that we can be an example to them and to help them grow spiritually. Father, just be with Chris as he br brings us our lesson this evening. Pray we, we take something from it and apply it to our lives. Forgive us the sins we've committed. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Our song of invitation will be number 255, I Am Resolved, 255. Now, if you would, let's stand and sing number 572. 572, send the light. There's a call come ringing on a restless way, send the light, send the light. There are souls to rescue, there are souls to save, send the light, send the light, send the light. Let the gospel light, let it shine from shore to shore.
good evening. Have you ever had one of those, maybe it's a smell, maybe it's a sight, um, maybe it's a taste even, that takes you right back to maybe years earlier? You ever had that happen? Uh, Titus got uh, sunburned yesterday at that track meet, so I was putting uh, some sun, um, sun stuff to make it not hurt <laughs> anymore. I was putting that on his shoulders. Uh, and that took me back to my childhood, swimming in a pool. There was some component in that stuff that didn't make it hurt anymore that was also in the sunscreen that I used when I was a kid. And I thought, man, that's, that's crazy, the power that just, just a scent has to take you back to years earlier, isn't it? Even a taste, or maybe it's the first time that you've had uh, a parent's or a grandparent's cobbler or a particular dish that they cooked really well. It's been a while since you've had that and you think, oh man, haven't had that in 20 years, but this is it. Or even worse, this is almost it, but not quite, right? It's amazing the power that simple things like that have for us. One of the things I want this series to do for us is that when we see or when we think about one of the creatures that we're studying, some component of this lesson strikes your, mi strikes your mind, strikes your memory like that, and it takes you back, and, and you can capture the lesson that we're trying to learn from these animals. This week, it's the lion. So we're going to learn some lessons from a lion. You've got uh, a picture right here that Abby uh, has drawn. She's turning into a, a great little artist, so we're very proud of her, but uh, she's this is a, her drawing of a lion. Uh, Titus has just gotten into Minecraft, and so this is Daniel in the lion's den. You can do some pretty cool stuff in Minecraft, right? I didn't know that. Daniel in the lion's den. He's put some pigs and foxes in there so the lions don't get hungry. <laughs> so that was great. That's awesome. And there's Daniel. Um, and then Hannah's adorable uh, little lion. Uh, so these are just some of the lions uh, that, uh, that we had I would love for you guys to get involved if you have some sort of artistic ability, if you're sculpting or creating or drawing. Uh, I would love for you to send that in to me. I'd love to see that and show it to everybody. I think that'd be a lot of fun. One of the pictures that I couldn't find uh, was when we went to the Chicago Museum. Uh, there's a, I think there's the University uh, of Chicago, and they have this Oriental Museum on their campus. Uh, and when Kelly went up there several years ago for a grooming competition, I had the kids. I had uh, Titus and Abby. I think it was just Titus and Abby. Hannah wasn't born yet. And uh, they were young, five and six, I would say, maybe four and five, maybe even younger, three and four probably, uh, somewhere around in there. They were, they were little, and I'm in Chicago by myself with them. <laughs> just not a good idea. And I know that now. But uh, we, were, we were going around. I thought, how cool would it be to take them to this Oriental Institute uh, and we can, we can see some of the things that they've excavated from the biblical lands. And so they've got the sphinxes that, that lived in Babylon. They've got those there. They're 40 feet tall, tons and tons of weight. Uh, they're massive. It's just so cool. They take up an entire back wall of the museum. It's just such a cool thing. You can't touch it, but you can get really close to it. So that was neat. Um, but one of the cool things we saw while we were there were these, um, these base reliefs of lions that Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar from the Bible, right? The guy that destroyed Babylon had when 
during during when Babylon's during his uh, during Babylonian <laughs> during the Babylonian heyday, he had a street lined with base reliefs of these um, lions that had been um, mosaic, and they were all all the way down this street, and it, it just ran for a couple of miles. And so I've got a picture of Titus with Abby in her stroller sitting in front of one of those uh, mosaics of the lion. And I thought, like Nebuchadnezzar saw that thing. That's really cool. Because he would have walked down that street on his way to worship his god Marduk every, every year. He would have walked down that street. He could have touched that panel. I thought, man, how cool is that? And so lions... Uh, are all over, right? We've, we've all got a lion story. I've got a couple uh, from Africa that I'd love to tell you later. But we're trying to learn lessons from the lions in the Bible. And so there are several different lions throughout Scripture, right? You think of Daniel in the lion's den. That's where Titus's mind went kind of immediately when I started talking about lions. Well, where's your mind going to go? It goes to, his at least did, to Daniel in the lion's den. Maybe yours goes to David when he had to fight a lion off of one of his sheep. Apparently he fought multiple lions off of his sheep. That's what the Hebrew indicates there for us. Maybe just a, a single bear, but maybe multiple lions. And so that's interesting. Maybe your mind went back to when Samson fought and killed that lion there in the vineyard on his way down to Timnah to meet his new bride and the honey that he found uh, in the lion's carcass the next next week. Maybe your mind went there. Maybe it went to a couple of different places. Maybe it went to 1 Peter 5. That's, that's where my mind, I think, went maybe first or second. Well, my mind usually goes in a couple of different directions like that. And this is what happened in this instance. When I, when I thought of lion, my mind went to 1 Peter 5, verse 8, right? Which describes Satan as a lion. And he's prowling around looking for someone to devour, right? When we were in Africa, uh, we are out in the bush. It was my only day in the bush. I stayed a lot uh, in the city, and so there's, there's mud houses and stuff and some brick houses. Um, but Kelly and, and a lot of the ladies stayed out in the bush for quite a bit of time. So I, I went out there one time uh, with them to do some Bible studies, and our guide is with us. And it's just me and Kelly and our guide, and there's no one else. And we, we get dropped out of the Jeep, and, and we look around, and there's, there's just nothing. It's just flat, and there's these little bushes about that tall, and nothing. And we walk for a couple of miles, and we do the Bible study. We're walking back out, and in the mud, Kelly sees a, a lion's footprint. And she knows what it is, I think, and then says, what is that? And our guide says, oh, it's a lion's footprint. Oh, okay. What? <laughs> right? This is a lion's footprint. He says, yeah, a lion's footprint. He says, oh, are there lions here? He says, oh, yes, there are lions here, 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 here. We start kind of looking like at this guy like, this was a bad idea. <laughs> Don't you know we are perfect lion food? I'm not fast enough to beat a lion. And so I, in my mind, I was thinking of this lion sneaking around looking for something to eat. And he was right behind me the whole Two miles out of there, we got out safe and everything was fine. So, but in my head, 1 Peter 5, 8 came to life like that. The devil's prowling around looking for someone to pull away from Christ. So that's one of the places maybe your mind went when we started thinking about lions too. 
The other place my mind kind of went immediately was Jesus is described as a lion, right? Greg read for us um, Genesis 49, verse 9, and it's talking there about Judah, Jesus' ancestor, right? There toward the end of Genesis, the book of Genesis ends right around in that, that time frame. And so all the things, all the players in Genesis have already come about. And so you've got uh, Abraham has already gone. Isaac and his sons uh, are gone now. And and finally, uh, Jacob and his 12 sons are taking over as the leadership of Israel. In fact, his 12 sons are really taking over as the leadership of Israel. As Jacob, as Israel passes away... He's going to bless each one of his sons, and specifically for our purposes tonight, he's going to bless Judah. In Genesis 49, verse 9, he blesses Judah. He says, you're the lion's cub. And so you kind of start thinking, well, that doesn't sound like a very good blessing. What do you mean a lion's cub? Uh, I'm, I'm kind of defenseless, but my father's great. Okay, I can deal with that. That's not bad. Well, what, what do you mean by a lion's cub? Well, you keep on following that lineage, and who do you get to? Well, eventually you get to David, right? The great King David, king over all of Israel, who is from the tribe of Judah, right? And he is this fantastic warrior king, unrivaled in his bravery and courage for Yahweh. This guy is phenomenal, so focused, right? He is a lion, Right. Eventually, you keep following that lineage and you get to who? Well, you, get, you find Christ, right? You find Jesus. And with the disciples, they, they're thinking, well, who, who are you? In fact, he even asks them at one point in Matthew 16, who do people say that I am? And Peter has a little bit of insight here. And he says, well, you're the Christ. You're the next David. I see in you a warrior king who has this charisma and has such trust in Yahweh that greatness will follow. The problem is, that's not who Jesus was, right? That's not the kind of Messiah that he came to be. And so, Peter was right and wrong at the same time. And so, you keep following him and you find that he's not just the king of, he's not just um, this conquering king, but he's also a suffering servant. Flip over to Revelation, Revelation chapter 5, verses 5 and 6. Revelation 5, verses 5 and 6. So, we started off in Genesis, and we've kind of followed that thread, this idea of Judah being a lion. You follow it starting in Judah, down to David, down to Jesus now, all the way to the end of the New Testament, and you find Jesus again. But this time he's not a lion, although he's going to have some allusions to that here. Revelation chapter 5, verse 5. And one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah. There he is. The root of David has conquered so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. So John 
in a beleaguered church. Remember, John, by this time, is the last living apostle. All the other ones have died, and none of them have died of natural causes. Every single one of them have been martyred. Every one of them have been murdered by the government. John's the last one alive, and he's been exiled. And so, finally, this vision comes to him, and the vision is what all of Revelation is about, really. Jesus wins, right? It, Revelation can be tough, but if you want to encapsulate it into just two words, the idea of Revelation is Jesus wins. It's not Nero, it's not Domitian, whoever is the current emperor, while John's writing Revelation. They may look like, it may look like Rome is winning, but Jesus wins in the end. And so when John is told to look and weep no more, look, the lion of Judah, the, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, he's conquered, he's won. John has to look over there and he's expecting to see what? He's expecting to see David, maybe, a warrior king with a bloody sword, maybe, with an army at his back, maybe. Maybe he's expecting to see this powerful lion who, who can destroy all adversaries. Maybe that's what he's expecting to see, but guess what he actually sees? In verse 6, And between the throne and the four living creatures and among the elders I saw a lamb standing as though it had been slain with seven horns and with seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. Don't, don't let that last little part there about the seven horns and the seven spirits trip you up. <coughs> Excuse me. Really what we need to focus on is the lamb that looks like it's been slain, right? This is what has made Jesus worthy to open this last seal. It's his sacrifice on the cross, right? And so you don't just see the conquering king. He's not a warrior king like what Peter thought he was going to be back in Matthew 16 when he said, you're the Christ. He was expecting somebody to have a sword. Jesus says, I don't have a sword, but I am going to conquer. But he's going to do it through his death, through the sacrifice. And so you keep on seeing this idea of sacrificing to be a conqueror. I like C.S. Lewis a lot. Um, I think he's got a really insightful series with the Chronicles of Narnia. I think he's got a lot of insightful books. Um, and when he starts thinking about uh, Narnia, as he starts writing about Aslan specifically, it doesn't take you very long before you figure out that Aslan, the lion in his um, fictional story, is a representation of Jesus, right? It doesn't take very long for you to figure that out. But on one occasion, at the very beginning, as they're about to be introduced to Aslan, the children are meeting up with this other character, and one of the children says, well, is, is, is he safe? Is Aslan safe. And she's just a little girl. She's not much older than Abby or Hannah probably. And so she's worried about security, right? Is he safe? And, and the character says, safe? Who said anything about safe? Of course he's not safe. Huh. But he's good. He's not safe, but he is good. And you find that a lot with Jesus too, don't you? He's not always safe. Often you're called to put yourself in jeopardy for his cause, right? Often you're called to sacrifice for his benefit, right? 
We've got to get outside the thinking that my personal safety is the most important thing. It's not. And so often he calls me to put myself in jeopardy for the benefit of his kingdom. And that's okay. And that's right. And like the apostles in Acts chapter 5, we ought to count that as an honor to suffer with him. I like that, that quote there by, by Lewis, and I think that's really insightful. He's not always safe. And if that's one of the things that you take away from this lesson, it's true, right? Jesus is not always safe, but he's always good. He's always good. I think that's really insightful, and it's no surprise to you then how Lewis ties what, why he pictures Aslan as a lion. Jesus is the lion of Judah. So we learn some things from this lion who rules, right? This lion is in charge. He's everything. He is sovereign. He's Lord in every aspect of the word. He is in charge. And so we need to learn how we're going to respond to him. How am I going to respond to a lion who rules? Well, in John chapter 11, Jesus is giving time for Lazarus to die. Lazarus lives in a place called Bethany. It's about two miles from Jerusalem. By this time, Jesus has kicked the hornet's nest of the Pharisees enough that if he gets anywhere near Jerusalem, they're going to kill him. And the apostles know it. And so when he starts talking about going to Bethany, two miles away from Jerusalem, the apostles start scratching their head and raising their hands and saying, I don't think this is such a good idea. But Jesus goes anyhow, right? After Lazarus has died, he goes and he resurrects him. Do you remember what Thomas says? Well, let's, let's go so that we can die with him. He's not always safe. But wouldn't you rather be with him than be safe? I would. You're not going to get out of this life alive anyhow. I would rather be with him than be safe any day. In John chapter 8 and John 10, 31, uh, the authorities pick up stones and they're going to kill Jesus because of some of the claims that he's made about his deity. They understood. It's not like they were stupid. They don't, they, it's not like they, they missed the point. They got exactly what he was saying. They just didn't agree with him. They just didn't submit. You're going to have to figure out what you're going to do with Jesus. Are you going to submit to the lion who rules? Or are you going to turn your back? Because if we submit, he demands everything. And there's no crevice left untouched. He demands your life, your everything, 100% everything. He's in charge. The Pharisees got that. They just didn't want to submit. And so they picked up stones and they were going to kill him. His disciples are right there in the mix. He's not always safe, but he is always good. In John chapter 6, Jesus has fed a multitude uh, already. And he looks out at the crowd and he gives them this really difficult teaching. He says, one day you're going to eat my body and drink my blood. And some of them just, it's not that they don't understand. They understand what he's saying. They just don't like it. They're offended by it. And so a lot of the crowd turns away and they leave. And then Jesus looks at, enough of the crowd leaves, that Jesus looks at the disciples and he says, do you guys want to go away too? You remember what Peter says, where else can we go? You've got the words of life. 
You see the dependence? I would rather be with you than be safe any day. Until we come to that spot in our lives, in our thinking, we're not where he wants us to be. Until I'd rather be with him than be safe. I got some growing I need to do. Right? That's one of the ways I respond to a lion who rules. I stay with him, no matter what. That's hard, isn't it? But it's what he demands. He never said this was easy. In fact, he said, pick up your cross daily and follow after me. Before you ever came to him, your recognition was that you were supposed to die. That's how we respond to a lion who rules. We give him everything. He doesn't always do what I expect either. That's, that's one of these other caveats here uh, that may trip you up. Uh, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus is teaching about forgiveness. And he looks at the disciples, because Peter's, Peter's been generous now. Uh, the normal Jew would say that you, could only, uh, you would only had to forgive someone three times. So if someone has offended me, um, and they've done it in the exact same way three times, I don't have to forgive them, and God would not be pleased with me for forgiving them. Peter and the rest of the disciples have no doubt attached themselves to that kind of thinking. But Peter knows Jesus is a generous guy, so he's going to add one to that. So four times. So you get to make the same mistake, the same sin against me four times, and I'll forgive you on the fourth time, on the fifth time, it ain't happening, Right? Jesus looks at him and says, what? 70 times 7. Every time someone sins against you, you forgive them. He doesn't always do what I expect him to do. And sometimes that's a tripping hazard for me, right? Sometimes that can mess me up a little bit. Sometimes that can push me away. But guess what? If he's the lion who rules, I'm not the boss. I don't get to make the rules. I don't get to say what's fair. He does. And so I just follow no matter... The offense. In Matthew chapter 16, Jesus is going to foretell his death. Uh, and Peter's going, this is, this is the episode where Peter takes him to the side and says, Jesus, now, I don't know if you know this or not, but you can't be saying stuff like that. You're not going to die. You're going to sit on the throne in, in Israel and you're going to kick the Romans out of Jerusalem. And this is going to be an awesome time for uh, Judaism. And you remember what Jesus says? Get behind me, Satan. He doesn't always do what you expect him to do, does he? But that's okay because it's not my expectations. He's meeting. I'm meeting his expectations, right? He's the one in charge. And so if he says something that's offensive to me, what do I do? I stick with him because I'd rather be with him than anywhere else, even anywhere else that's safe, any, even, any, even anywhere else that makes sense. Even anywhere else where I'm comfortable, I'd rather be with him. I'd rather obey him than be comfortable anywhere else. Than be safe anywhere else. Than know exactly what's going on anywhere else. Because I trust him more than I trust me. In Matthew chapter 5, really, in Matthew 5 through 7, it's the Sermon on the Mount, right? And so he just says thing after thing after thing where you're like, what am I supposed to do with that? <laughs> you know, if you're sitting there in the first century... Your mind would have been blown after every, after every sentence, after every paragraph. You'd, you'd, you'd be like, Jesus, I've got a list of questions I want to ask you about those things you just said. 
you might want to sit down for this because it's going to take a bit, you know. But in Matthew chapter 5, 39 through 42, uh, he says, If someone takes your jacket, which they could, if you owed someone money, they could take your jacket, but they couldn't keep it for the night. They had to give it back to you for the night because it got cold and God didn't want you to freeze to death. So if they take your jacket, Jesus says, you give them your shirt too. You give more than is required. Oh, Jesus, that's hard. That, that's, people are going to take advantage of you. People are going to run over you. He says, yep, that's okay. That's okay. He doesn't always do what I expect, but that's okay because I'm not in charge. I'm living up to his expectations. He's not living up to mine. And so I stick with him no matter what. That's how I respond to a lion who rules. If he's really in charge, it doesn't matter how crazy things get. It doesn't matter how busy things get. It doesn't matter what happens. I stick with him. Let me give you this caveat as well. Turn to Hosea. Hosea chapter 11. The prophet's talking an awful lot about lions too. Um, specifically here in Hosea, once in Joel and once in Amos, uh, you get a different view of a lion. They're not so much thinking of the lion who rules, although you find aspects of that sometimes in the prophets. They're thinking of the lion who roars. Um, that's what lions do, right? They roar. And so when the prophets talk about lions, usually... They're talking about a lion who roars. You see a good example of that here in Hosea chapter 11. Starting in verse 10. He says, They shall go after the Lord. He will roar like a lion. When he roars, his children shall come trembling from the west. They shall come trembling like birds from Egypt and like doves from the lands of Assyria. And I will return them to their homes, declares the Lord. This is talking about coming back from Babylonian captivity. And God's word has already been settled on the matter. They're still in Babylonian captivity. Or they're about to go into Babylonian captivity as Hosea writes these words. But that matter is already a foregone conclusion. It's like they're already in Babylonian captivity. But God's looking beyond that. And as he writes these words, he's roaring like a lion, giving hope to a decimated people. To a people who are so deep in depression they don't know what to do with themselves. If they didn't have to get out of bed, these, these, these Jewish folks would not get out of bed. They, their worlds are, are gone. The temple has been destroyed. Jew, Jerusalem is gone. Yahweh has betrayed them to their minds. Everything is lost. But it's already a foregone conclusion. Not only just that the, uh, that the exile will happen, it's coming. But it's a foregone conclusion that it will happen, but that he's going to bring them out of that. And so this lion roaring is a message of hope as well, right? You find that some more in Joel and the Amos passage. It's interesting, though, that it changes depending on your perspective of this roar. So if you're, in some of these passages the offending nation when God roars you don't hear hope that's what his people hear because he's coming to save them and his roar gives them hope but if you're the offending nation you don't hear hope you hear disaster ruin is coming and so one day he will roar 
metaphorically speaking, again, and the worlds will be burned up before that judgment day comes. And so it depends on where you're at spiritually when that happens for how it goes with you in eternity. So if you're inside of Christ, that roar, that call is one of hope, one of adulation. Finally, right? That's the Christian's call. Come, Lord Jesus, come. That's, that's, that's our rallying cry. We're waiting for him to come back, longing for him to come back. But there are a group of people. May we never be in that group. May no one ever be in that group, but there will be a sizable portion of our world in that group that when they hear that cry will be that of disaster because they will be lost. Tonight, if you're lost, if you're outside of Christ, he is calling you, pleading with you to come home just as he did with the prodigal son in the story that Jesus told. Tonight, maybe it's your opportunity to come home, to be baptized, to have your sins washed away. Maybe you've already made that decision and you just need the prayers of this congregation to be what God's called you to be. If you have any need tonight, why don't you come as we stand and sing. I am resolved no longer to linger God will be Good evening. Just a few announcements before we're dismissed. As a reminder, after services, the elders and deacons will meet. This coming Tuesday morning, the Young at Heart will meet here at the building at 1030, and we'll be traveling to Christopher Eats for lunch. The elders will be meeting this Wednesday. Next Sunday, the 25th, is our Potluck Sunday, so we'll have that right after morning services, and then we'll have uh, services at 1 p.m. 
And then that evening, uh, over to Trevathan's, there'll be a singing at 6 p.m. Reminder also that October 8th, we will be doing a uh, area-wide door-knocking campaign. And this is in conjunction with other Churches of Christ across the, uh, the country. And our goal is to place 500 door hangers in and around our community. So if you want to help out with that, see either Chris or Marvin. Rick wanted to uh, remind his life group that you will be meeting this Saturday, the uh, 24th at 7.30, or excuse me, 7 p.m., 7 p.m. at his house, his and uh, Karen's house. So if you need directions, uh, please see Rick or get in touch with him. The prayer list, uh, just a reminder, uh, continue to pray for Chad's mom and dad, Janie and Glenn Judge. Jennifer Baker will be having surgery this coming Wednesday in Columbus for her cancer. Sean Steiner is a deacon at Hurricane, needs our prayers. Uh, Jerry Fry, uh, his continuing heart issues as he waits to uh, hear back from his cardiologist. Uh, Chris's mom, Debbie, is now at home. And then Brett and Noreen Tani, this is Penny Jessup's. Uh, friends, son, and daughter-in-law have uh, some serious issues that they're dealing with. Just a reminder to uh, pick up our own journal if you haven't done so with all of our upcoming activities and complete list of all those in need of our prayers. That's all the announcements that I have. If you have not had the opportunity to take the Lord's Supper, you can do so at this time just through this door, and we'll have one more song and be dismissed in prayer. Our last song this evening is number 947, Jesus, Let Us Come to Know You. Please pray with me. Dear Lord, thank you for this day and everything you've given us. Thank you for letting us come together as brothers and sisters in Christ to learn more and worship you. Dear Lord, please be with everyone on the on the sick list, for you know their needs, and continue to be with us as we travel home tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. <laughs> 